Welcome to The Spirit Explodes with Roger Kirby. This is our fifth study in the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 4, verses 5 to 31, where we find the first signs of opposition. Luke now records the beginnings of opposition from the authorities. He probably wrote Acts sometime in the late A.D. 70s or early A.D. 80s, that is, after the first wave of persecution of the early church under Emperor Nero in the A.D. 60s. Theophilus may have been concerned about the legality of the Christian witness and about the levels of opposition it had aroused. So Luke is intent on showing that these problems had arisen unfairly and how they were handled by the early church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We read first chapter 4, verses 5 to 22. The next day the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them 
because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Much the most important part of this passage is Peter's speech to the court of the Sanhedrin. Luke has a habit of emphasizing a particular event by giving three accounts of it. So he tells us about Paul's conversion three times in chapters 9, 22 and 26. He tells us about the dream of Peter that led to the admission of Gentiles into the church three times in chapters 10 and 11. Here he records three very similar speeches of Peter's, of which this is the third. Question 1. What things has Luke emphasized by recording them three times in these speeches? Each of these three times he mentions the crucifixion of Jesus and blames the people listening to him for it. Very true, but perhaps not the most diplomatic thing to say. He then emphasizes the resurrection, each time using exactly the same phrase, God raised him from the dead. As we have noted before, this is a challenge to disprove the resurrection by proving that it did not happen, a challenge which was never met. Peter continues with a quotation from Psalm 118, verse 22, often cited in the New Testament. No one is quite sure what the word used means. It is either the capstone, the stone at the top centre of an arch, which holds it all together, or a cornerstone, a foundation stone, which is the fundamental starting point for the whole building. When the quotation is associated with the idea of stumbling, it is presumably a cornerstone that is in mind. He then sharpens the situation with his next statement, that there is no other way to be saved. Question 2. By many modern standards, that is an incredibly wrong thing to say, suggesting that there is no other way to salvation and heaven. How can we justify what he said? There can be only one Creator God. If indeed he has raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus is in a unique position in all history, making his claims those that must be heard. The members of the council were astonished by the clearly stated and well-presented arguments of Peter and John, when they were reckoned to be unschooled, ordinary men. So our question three, how and why were they able to be so effective? What can we learn from the answers to that question? Two reasons. First, they had the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had told them, when you were brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Secondly, they had had an extended seminar with Jesus in the chair for three years. No wonder they knew how to argue. We too can rely on the Holy Spirit in times of stress. We too can study with Jesus 
through reading and study of the Bible as the Word of God. The authorities could not deny the good that had been done in the name of Jesus Christ. The healed man was standing in front of them. But they didn't want to hear about why it had been done. Many authorities since have been happy to have the good works of the Christian Church, but have not wanted to hear about why they had been done. Question 4. Think about where and why that has been done in your situation. Obviously, I cannot provide any help on this question's answer. For some of our listeners and readers, this passage will be deeply significant as you face similar problems of ending up in court because of your faith in Jesus. The only thing we, in a much easier environment, can safely say to you is to read again Peter and John's reply. Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And may the Lord be with you if you ever have to repeat those words. We now read verses 23 to 31. On their release... Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant and our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal, perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The quotation from the Old Testament, uh, that is the bit that goes, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one, comes from Psalm 2. It is unlikely that their thoughts or even their voices, stopped after those first two verses. Listen to some of how the psalm continues. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. 
serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Question 5. Why did they pray for boldness of speech and not for the opposition to stop? They had a clear understanding of what was going to happen and did not rate their lives and comfort above the progress of the news about Jesus. They may have been remembering what Isaiah says in chapter 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God. I love you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Notice how their prayer was answered with a directness and immediacy we will probably seldom experience. Question 6. Does this arise from what are probably the sharp differences between their prayer and the sort of prayers we probably usually pray, or what? I don't know about you, but I will have to confess that mine tend to be much more self-centred and much more concerned with my comfort than theirs was. So the answer is probably yes. What about you? We finish this passage there. Thanks for listening. Come back to Partakers, www.partakers.co.uk, where every day there is something added to help you in your life as a Christian disciple. Thank you.